Hey y'all, this is Justin Mitchell from the Sun-Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi, and this is Out Here in America. Today, we're talking with a college freshman named Daniel Garcia about the long road he's traveled to a better place in an epidemic that is still happening every single day. According to a study at UCLA, of the 1.5 million homeless young people in the United States, 40% of them are LGBTQ. Many of them were forced out by their parents or ran away after a range of abuse. It was bad. That's just the worst part of my life. Some of them ended up in the same foster care system Daniel endured, where the human rights campaign has shown LGBTQ youth are overrepresented and where they face disparities in the treatment they receive from the system. When the DHS lady showed up, sad to say it, but they'd already met a couple of times, I'm like, you know, where is he going to go from here? I mean, who are they going to stick him with next? What makes Daniel's experience unique is the love he's found from an unexpected place, the family of a high school classmate with whom he's lived for the past two years and who he says helped set him on the path toward a very bright future. I honestly don't say thank you enough for how far out of the way my current parents have gone to do the best for me. We recently invited Daniel to our studio, and when he arrived, he brought along Victoria Penny, the woman he proudly calls mom, and his sister, Brayley. So we all traded microphones back and forth to laugh a little, cry a little, and celebrate everything that home means to us. Stick around on Out Here in America. That is so warm, like the radiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Maybe my insides are quick quivering. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all have tissues handy? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to cry. I'm going to grab some. Yeah. I meant to say it as soon as I got no, here. Okay. And I'm, <sighs> okay, I should have been. Am I lying? Here. No. no. <laughs> so, anyway, Daniel, sorry about all that. It's okay. But uh, tell me a little bit about you. Um, yikes. I'm a mess. Uh, doing my best to keep it together. Um, on top of that, I would say I'm definitely not your average person from South Mississippi. When you think of South Mississippi, I'm probably not the image that comes to mind. And I'm loud. I'm very toned down right now because I didn't have a lot of sleep the last few days. I've been very busy, but I'm normally a lot louder than this. So this is toned down. Yeah, this yes. is toned down. <laughs> this face is also toned down because yes. I had 20 minutes to do it. So I'm very toned down today. <laughs> well, I was gonna say your brow game is very strong today. Thank you, I'm doing my best. <laughs> You're not from Mississippi, though. Actually, I was born in Picayune. I try not to claim it often because I was only there for three years, but I was born in Picayune at Crosby Memorial Hospital and lived in Picayune and Poplarville for the first three years of my life. Then when my mom passed away, me and my dad moved to Bugalusa, just across the state line. I lived there till I was about seven, lived in New Orleans until I was about 13, Brief stint in California, came back to New Orleans, and now I'm here. Really, how did you meet Daniel? Okay, Daniel moved here in 10th grade. So I met him in a 10th grade advanced history class, and I hated Daniel. I for real hated him. I was like, I cannot stand him. He thinks he knows everything. I do not like him. And we sat right next to each other, too. So there was that. But you know, he didn't know that I hated him. I had to tell him afterwards. But we got a lot closer, like through the class, through like our friends, and we hung out a lot. And that's pretty much how we met, was in that class. So Victoria, I just want to start, you guys lived in Mississippi 
I'm from Bay St. Louis, and when I got married, I made it all the way to Gulfport, and I thought that was a big thing because I got across the bridge. But yeah, we've been in Mississippi as far as my original family. Um, my husband's gotten to travel with work overseas and stuff like that, but uh, he had lived in the same house in Gulfport since he was six months old until I came along. And uh, he moved like literally five or six blocks away <laughs> when we got married, so. You're doing better than me because I'm from Bay St. Louis and I moved over here and just went back across the bridge. So I'm living in Bay St. Louis again, I love it. I love it over there. I now like the Main Street downtown and all the restaurants and the walk and the art and, you know, the, so that's really nice. If you don't mind me asking Daniel, how old were you when you were placed into foster care? Well, I was placed in as a ward when I was seven, because that's when my dad passed away. And I was placed as a ward under a legal guardian, my aunt, um, in Louisiana. But I was placed into foster care itself when I'm like in the DHS system being actively checked on and whatnot when I was 15. Do you remember living with your mom and your dad at all? My mom, not really. But my dad, I remember pretty well. Still have some childhood memories, like four to seven, that age range. And when your dad died, mm -hmm. what was the transition like? Nothing really hit me. I remember that at the funeral, I went to the first hour of it, and then my aunt asked if I wanted to stay, and I said, I don't know, this is kind of boring, and I went and saw cars. So nothing really hit me until I was probably about eight, and it really started hitting me that no one's coming back, that I'm really in this situation. So like... Although I loved my parents and although I loved my aunt, it was still like, where is my dad? I didn't really know my mom, so that never really was a big thing for me because I never really knew her. But when I lost my dad, it was a lot because we went through Katrina together. We moved from New Orleans, flooded out, no house, no nothing. And that was all I had. So that was pretty hard after I started realizing that he's not coming back. Yeah. And you were so young. I mean, yeah, I'm like, what is going on? Like, I didn't have any perspective at all. Right. Can you just kind of give me like a timeline of how kind of steps and things changed in your life as you grew up? Mm -hmm. Well, 2005 is when Katrina hit. Me and my dad ended up moving to Dallas for a month just as like an emergency thing. We caught up with family who went to South Carolina. We came back home and that's when my dad passed away in June of 2007. Rumor has it that it was suicide because he had a drug overdose. He just couldn't take raising a kid on his own. Being without family, we didn't have the money to really go live in the city. He just had a lot and that was it. So when I was seven, I lived with my aunt in New Orleans. When I was 10, it started getting kind of tense. She always knew that I was a little different, but it was interesting to see me actually grow up being queer and not being like her other kids who are straight. She never outwardly forced me to do anything, but it was always kind of like a disapproving kind of thing. Like, don't try and shave your legs, don't wear makeup. She'd be nice about it and say, well, let's not do this. We were the epitome of literally broke because my aunt didn't have much to do with the 22,000 a year assistant teacher salary in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. That was just all combined to where she signed over my custody because she couldn't afford the mental health, she couldn't afford the stress, any of it. So I moved to California with my half-sister once guardianship was signed over. Her husband was in the military. They were gonna be moving all around. So they sent me back to Louisiana to live with her mom, my half-sister's mom. My dad never married her. My dad got together with my mom, had me, and married my mom. 
So when I went back to live with my half-sister's mom. And she lived? She lived in Marrero at the time when I first got there in Louisiana, New Orleans suburbs, the West Bank. Then we moved to Gulfport, Mississippi. That's the home that I was in when Braley got me. So how did Daniel moving in come about? Um, like I said, Daniel and I got really close that 10th grade year. So that summer, I was really best friends with this girl, Amelia. And we were both close to Daniel. We wanted to know what was going on with him. We hadn't heard from him like all summer. We contacted anybody that would know anything about Daniel and we couldn't get anything. He like had not contacted anybody. We didn't know what was going on. So we literally drive over there to see what's going on. And luckily like his parents that he was with at the time weren't home and he was at a neighbor's house. And he tells us like what's going on there when I saw him, I was like, wow, Daniel, you look so great. Come to find out he wasn't eating. And that's why he had like lost weight and everything. And he was outside doing like labor. And that's why he was so tan. So we were talking to him and all of a sudden he just breaks down and tells us what's going on. They were abusive. They were entirely anti-queer, extremely far right kind of ideology in the household that they lived by. It was bad. I was starved, I was beaten. Um, I still wear the scars today from that horrible, horrible time. And I was outside working for a neighbor because if I was gonna live in the house, I had to work. And I was doing yard work for a neighbor at the time. And she showed up and saw me. She's like, what the hell is going on? I was like, I don't know why, help me, please do something for me. And her and Amelia were like, get in the car. So we literally kidnap him. I was kidnapping someone at 15. He wanted to go ask if he could leave. We were like, no, because if you ask, they're going to know where you are. And we take him to my friend's house. And he lives there for the rest of the summer. And then he's been living with us ever since. Victoria, how did you react when? Well, I was actually at work and I got a text from my husband that said, uh, well, we now have a new child, something along the lines of that. And so I ran to the office and called and, and he told me the story and there was more adjectives in the story when my husband's telling it to me because she's telling the nice version of it. And I just automatically got angry because I don't understand how can anybody treat a child or a person, especially a child like that. He couldn't be himself. You know, they were abusing him in every which way. There was physical marks that he'd been abused, you know. So he's like, well, as soon as you can get home tonight, you know, you know, we need to have a family meeting. And after just a short time, I'm like, if people that were within his own family did him wrong, what the stranger gonna do to him? I mean, he just needs to stay with us, so. Um, Daniel, for a lot of your life, it seems like you were the odd person out. Learning you were queer at so young, were you able to express yourself at all before you went to live with Braley and Victoria and her family? Not really until the end of me living in that house because I know that Junior year for debate, I qualified for nationals in Miami and my friend Jess was with me and she was super supportive and whatnot. And she had makeup and she's like, let's do your makeup. Let's look good. And I'm like, okay, sounds like a great time for me. And that was the first time I like did my makeup, had a good time, looked a little like I wanted to look and acted the way I wanted to act and not felt like confined. I was a whole thousand miles away from home in Miami at a debate conference. And I was like, this is good times. So that was really the first time that I was able to do that for myself. Before that, not really. I still felt confined and I still felt like I didn't want to do too much because I didn't want to be rubbing my aunt or my family the wrong way. 
does it hurt you to think about your own family giving up their rights for you and you being able to prosper in a place that isn't really your blood? I mean, at first it was a lot to take in, like after so many years and being with family and whatnot and suddenly not, it really did hurt. But I had a lot of conversations with my aunt. She came out here when I first got into foster care and and we just sat down and chatted about it. And she cried and I'd never seen my aunt like cry. Oh, geez, now I'm crying. Um, I've never seen my aunt like process her emotions so outwardly like that. But we talked about it for a couple hours, um, went to the beach, just sat down. Oh, geez, sorry. She said that was the biggest mistake she's ever made and that she never wanted to do anything like that again. If I ever needed anything, let her know. Um, every time I've asked her for something, she comes out here, she'll come see me, she'll come visit, she'll pick me up and go there, and everyone makes mistakes, and neither of our lives were in a place at that time where we could be conscious about everyone's feelings, and she was in debt, we were living off of $22,000 a year with a family of six and a dog, and I can't fully blame her for it, but... It took a little while to get over that. And I'm really still not, because as you can see, I'm kind of emotional, but it's getting there. Are you okay over there? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you made me cry. Let's, let's fast forward, let's, let's get, some, get some happiness. Yeah. How did your life change when you moved in to Braley's house? Hmm. Was well, it? It was right before the, your junior year. Yeah. So how, how was getting ready for school different there than it was? First, I didn't quite have a room yet. There was a den in the back with a futon <laughs> and it was shared with the dog, the biggest, loudest dog. Um, I love him, but I also hate him. <laughs> um, so I never really had a room to myself anyways. I always had a room with someone else, either another kid, another foster kid or whatever. Like I've always shared a room. So I mean, it was just interesting having kind of a room to myself, but also not because it was with the dog and everyone would keep coming in because the door doesn't have a lock on it. So <laughs> um, just getting used to everything. It was very uncomfortable at first. But after that, I'd say after about a month or so, kind of got used to it. Like no one's gonna jump out and bite me or anything. I'm not gonna get put out in the street. These people, they're not just in it for money. They're not just in it to be in it. They're in it for me. So after getting used to that, about two months in a junior year, I'm kind of like in the same place that I am now. I'm just like comfortable. Was that really a different feeling for you? Being completely comfortable, yes. Because although I can always be like, I'm home, I go to sleep here, I get dressed here, like that kind of comfort, but being able to say, I am Daniel and I'm gonna put on my makeup and blare my Britney Spears and I'm gonna sit here and watch my queers folk in my room and have a good time. Having that level of comfort was new. I don't even feel comfortable staying at hotels sometimes. Like I remember when I used to stay with family members when I was a kid, like if I went and stayed at like a cousin's house and I always slept with the TV on and like if they didn't have a TV in the room and it was like dark, I'd be like, I'm never staying here again. Like I've always <laughs> just been like that person to where like I've always had this core center of what home means and what home is. And I feel like maybe you didn't really have that, you know, when you were, when you were growing up, but it, it seems like you've always found a way to make a place home, even if it wasn't a good home. 
I'll find somewhere to rest my head, get up in the morning, take a shower and get dressed. That's always been not a problem for me, finding a place where I'm comfortable doing that, where I feel like I can get up in the morning and be comfortable and not have to worry about the people in my own house judging me is definitely something that's been a recent thing. It's just really hard hearing what you just said because like you think you have your own problems and I've never known what it, what it would be like to not have a home. I just feel really privileged because I've always had a place where I felt safe and could be myself and a lot of people with stories like yours don't have a place where you could always put on your makeup or wear your nails or even like get a meal. And well, part of that's just being understanding of other people's situations. Yeah. It's not anything to be worried or ashamed about or feel any type of way about. It's just being understanding that people have other issues and being conscious that everyone's not living the same life. Victoria, how is Daniel different than your own kids? My son is real quiet, introvert, big nerd, likes to read, likes to game. This one's kind of the social butterfly here, Braley. She likes to be out with her friends and not get up on time. And as she's about to go off to college, hopefully she'll get it together. I'm a mess, but yeah. like I'm trying, yeah. and that's what matters. Yeah. She's working on it. It's it's daily routine. We have a full house. We have filled every inch and then some. I recently had to rent a storage shed, so yes, it's yeah. pretty full. Okay, can I be honest? Daniel's way more driven, organized, and organized than my brother and I are. On time. Okay. <laughs> All right. But he is very self-sufficient. Like, he really doesn't have to rely on anyone to go do the things that he wants to do. He can handle it all himself, you know. Like, we basically just kind of give him a place to live. Like, he can really take care of himself. Mm -hmm. So that's how Daniel's very different than us. He's way more driven. And not that we don't work hard, but I have to be honest, Daniel works harder than a lot of people I've met, including my brother and I. So obviously, you work really hard in school. Have you always been an exemplary student? Yes, school's kind of been what's kept me sane because school is the one thing that's been constant. And I guess that's why I invested so much into it. And I can still succeed in that way and no one can hurt me academically. So the college admissions process was long and kind of hard. I was super set on Princeton for probably 13 years of my life. Like Princeton always sounded like a nice name to go to. <laughs> Princeton, Princeton, Princeton. After going through the process and I got admitted to Stanford, Princeton, WashU, and Tufts and Pomona. And after getting those admitted letters, they flew me out to come visit the campus, all of them. My issue with Princeton was that it felt elitist. It felt cutthroat it felt like I wasn't comfortable. And I didn't want to spend four years in an environment where I'm not going to be happy regardless of the name. Washington University just didn't feel like home for me. Tufts, I spent two days up there for a fly-in and it was like 30 degrees and raining the whole time. And I was like, this isn't going to fly. Mm -hmm. So personally, I felt more at home at Pomona. It felt like a community of people and I wasn't just a number because Stanford has 35,000 students between the undergraduate and graduate schools. And Pomona is only undergraduate, so only bachelor's degrees are being given, and it's only 1,600 people. So I get the feel of a small school where I know everyone where I'm going to school with. I have small classes. I know my professors. When the people asked me Stanford or Pomona, and I said Pomona, they would commonly say, but Stanford's got the name. And I'm like, I don't care about the name. I care about where I'm going to be happy, where I'm going to be successful, and where I'm going to thrive. Because although it's not a big name for a lot of people in the general public, it's a big name to me. And it's where I I feel comfortable and I feel like I'm at home. Maybe I'm just guessing here, but you're going to a place where it's a small community of family and maybe maybe that's exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to start calling Victoria mom and Sean dad? I mean, 
that's kind of what they are. They took me in without asking for anything. I honestly don't say thank you enough for the unconditional love, for the support, not just in like giving me a house and give me the physical things, but giving me the support. Even though they work 52 hour weeks, they did it because they cared about me. And that's what parents are, people who care about you unconditionally. So they deserve the name. Is it kind of weird having a juxtaposition where you're finally in a house where everyone accepts you for who you are, but then you walk outside of Mississippi and it's still the way it is, I guess? Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but being in a house where I'm accepted has made it easier to walk out the house and still feel okay with myself. Before, I would be okay with wearing a little makeup and doing whatever I want in the house and then take it off when I leave. But like, as I got more comfortable being in the home, I got more comfortable with walking out and saying, I don't care what y'all think. My life's together. I have my family. I have my school. Y'all can all buzz off. Like, it took a while to get to that point. And I'd say I'm really there now. I really don't care. I will walk into a cafe with my purse on and my makeup on and I will go order me a coffee and not care. Everyone can stare and look as much as they want, but my stuff's together. And knowing that I'm secure in that, knowing that I have a family that cares about me, knowing that I have my college degree coming on its way in 2021, that doesn't bother me what they think anymore. The juxtaposition is barely noticeable. Were people shocked when you came to school in a full face of makeup? Oh yeah, they were shocked to the last day I left. I've been called the lovely F word for the gays. Um, hate that word, won't say it. I'm gonna live my life. So although people may be shocked and a little uncomfortable, I don't care. Victoria, did you ever have to deal with anything differently with him being gay and living here? Um, I've dealt with some frustrations where I honestly thought my head was going to spin off my body, but uh, <laughs> I realized some people aren't as accepting. Like uh, we simply went to dinner as a family one night and, and just the whispering in the stairs and, you know, you try to be the adult in any situation, but when it's your, your loved one's children or whatever it might be, you know, the claws kind of come out. I kind of just don't understand people's lack of acceptance. You can't judge somebody just by glancing at them. You don't know who they are, what they've been through. That's kind of been something that I, that I work on. <laughs> She'll stare people down. She's like, what are you looking at? Do you have a problem? I actually said that. I forgot where we were walking into, but uh, was it Mardi Gras? At the parade, I think. Yeah. I think it was a Mardi Gras parade. I'm like, why are all these people staring at us and whispering? And then these people took a picture, and that's when I was like, mm-mm. Did you say something to them? I don't remember exactly what I said, but I did say something. Just turned around and Oh, yeah, glared. basically. I'm four foot ten, but don't make me mad, because I think I'm six feet, you know? But that leads me back to they're judging him because he might walk in and, and makeup, and they're judging him. They don't know his ACT score. They don't know the things he's been through. They don't know where he's going. They don't know the good things he's done. And I'm thinking, don't be jealous because he's got a nice purse, you know. You guys ever think people in Mississippi will change? Slowly, but I think they will. I mean, they're not really gonna have a choice. I think it just depends. Every person is different. There's a lot of people where it's like rooted in them to be hateful. It's not an excuse. You know, you can learn to love somebody for who they are not just something that describes them. Because your sexuality, your race, that doesn't define who you are as a person. When the podcast episodes are released, mm -hmm. I'll get random notes from like across the country and a lot of them are positive. 
but a lot of people locally send notes that are not so nice. Mm -hmm. And at first, I used to get really upset about it because, like, my manager would be like, oh, we got another negative note again. Don't get uh, upset. They're talking about it. And, and at one mm -hmm. point, I just kind of realized that they're learning something. Even if they're terrible to you, they're still learning. You know, like, this is really happening, and they might just be totally against it, but they're still they're acknowledging the fact that it's happening. Yeah. And, yeah. That's a, and that's just a step in itself. It makes me more driven like this podcast. If this helps one person, I feel like we've done a fantastic job. What does being Daniel's mom mean to you? Just that um, he has somebody that'll support him and if ever he needed help in making a decision or just somebody to talk to about anything at all, then I'm here for him, even though others may not be. You know, I'm... 99.9% .9 sure he knows that, but here goes the other percent. And uh, he's taught me that uh, the struggles that I thought I went through in my childhood were nothing. Hearing his struggles and then finding out other people's struggles, I'm like, that just made me who I am. So my struggles made me stronger. And I'm hoping, believe it or not, that his struggles and finding out that there are accepting people and people that love you for who you are, uh, that he's learned something from us. So how do y'all feel about Daniel moving across the country to go to college? I'm happy for him um, with his ACT scores and some other scenarios. He was able to be actually flown to all these different prestigious colleges. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about Pomona and I'm having to go, okay, what is this Pomona? You know, cause I honestly didn't know. So Pomona it is, as you can see. <laughs> really, where are you going? I'm going to Loyola in New Orleans. Victoria, is it going to be hard for you to have two bedrooms empty in your house? No. No? You ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm ready because I, I think they both need to get these educations. Maybe hopefully neither one of them will have to struggle and work a job and a half or two jobs like we do now to have things and have extra things and go on a vacation once a year if we choose to and, you know, be able to just run to Walmart and not only get what I have to have, but, oh my God, that looks good, you know? So hopefully they'll be able to support me someday. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Are you ready to leave the South? Are you ready to go to California? I'm ready. I at least need the break. I'm unclear on if I want to come back yet. I'm not sure if I want to expose myself to this for the rest of my life when I know I could have better, but I'm not sure if I want to leave this place when I know I could fix it. But I'm definitely ready to be in an accepting place like Los Angeles, somewhere with a huge queer culture, somewhere where I feel like I can be fully accepted as me. I'm ready for that. I need at least, even though it's not a vacation, the vacation of college to happen. At least that. I'm ready. <laughs> Thanks again to Daniel, Victoria, and Braley for sitting down with me, and to Amanda McCoy and Davin Coburn for producing this episode of Out Here in America. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories like this. But in the meantime, subscribe to Out Here in America on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Leave us a review, and we'll see y'all soon on Out Here in America.